Well, hello. Welcome to another episode of Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we talk about how habits build you and we help you build better habits. My name is Jeff Bruce, one of the pastors here, and I am again joined by Creekside's resident scholar of habit formation, my dad, John Bruce. Dad, how are you today? I'm, I'm habitually good. Habitually good? <laughs> yes. I'm glad to hear that. I'm fine. Thank you. Good. Well, thus far, Dad, we have talked about why we need to form habits. Then we talked about the relationship between habit formation and Christian formation and the role of habits in making us like Jesus. And then last week, we broke down the anatomy of a habit using categories borrowed from James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. And we said a a habit involves four things, a cue, a craving, a response, and a reward. Cue, craving, response, reward. So for example, I smell the coffee my spouse is making in the morning. That's the cue. I really want that coffee. That's the craving. So I go make a cup of coffee and drink it. That's the response. And now I experience the delicious taste of coffee, that sweet elixir of life. And I feel alert and awake. That is the reward. And there are innumerable actions that we perform every day where that process plays out inside our brains. And most of the time, we don't even realize it, right? Because it's just happening at a subconscious level. You don't think through each of those steps when you put on your seatbelt or you check your email in the morning. But nonetheless, that process is continually happening in your brain. And what we said, and this is really a summation of what we talked about last time, that if you want to build a new habit, you need to make that unconscious process conscious. Right. right. Is that a fair assessment? Exactly. It's got to be deliberate or it won't happen. So you, you bring this process into your conscious awareness. You, you have to make it intentional before you make it automatic. And so if I want to build a good habit, I need to think through my cue, my craving or conviction, as you put it, my response and my reward. And this made me think about when I started working out with my wife, how we had to be intentional about each of those steps. So with our cue, we made it obvious. We put our exercise equipment in the living room mm. where you couldn't miss it mm-hmm. every single day. My other cue is I have a wife that is a (laughs) cue incarnate. And so she reminded us it is time to work out. And my craving, or really my conviction, was that working out is necessary for me to be a disciplined, focused, healthy person. So I've got to do this to become who I want to become. And then my response was to do a workout, and specifically one with a low activation barrier. So it was not, let's go drive two hours to the gym and hang out there and stuff, because for us, that's just not realistic. It was, no, this is going to be a 38-minute workout. We're going to do it. We have the time to do it. Let's do it together. Uh, And then the reward, obviously, the immediate reward is the feeling of satisfaction. It's that feeling of endorphins after you work out. The long-term satisfaction is knowing all of the physical benefits that you are accruing. I'd say another immediate satisfaction of it is knowing that you denied yourself and did something hard to start the day. There is something mentally about that. That's a huge win as a way to to start the day and kind of sets the tone for what's going to happen. Now, all of those steps were explicit at the front end. Hopefully now they're becoming more unconscious. But again, it's a battle. I have to bring them back up to my conscious awareness. Would you say that's a fair assessment of how things happen? Yeah, I really like your low activation Mm -hmm. barrier because the harder something is to start, the better the chance we'll procrastinate on it. And uh, it just becomes 
harder and harder to do the more we think about it. But if you make it some somewhat easy to, to get into it, it's much more likely it'll become automatic. Good. And then we applied this to the Christian life. And the same process applies. And you simplified it to a reminder, a routine, and a reward, which I thought was a helpful little framework. And whenever we're applying the Bible, it's very helpful for us first to have a reminder. When am I going to obey the truth taught in this passage? The routine is what specifically am I going to do? And then the reward is why am I doing this? And I have to remember that. And again, the idea here is that once we make that our conscious choice, the more we repeat that process, the more it becomes part of who we are. The more it becomes part of our character, it's unconscious, and, and then we don't have to work on the habit necessarily. It's just there. Right, right. Anything right. else you'd want to add? Well, I just said the reminder is really cute, really key, because we bumble into so many sins. It's just if, <laughs> if we were thinking, oh, this is a temptation, or oh, I've, I've got to obey God in this, then we'd probably obey him. But so often, life just happens and we react automatically, and then we realize that our reaction was a bad habit that we just fell back into. Mm -hmm. And that's why really thinking through, okay, I've got to remember in this situation that this, this is an opportunity to, to practice. Uh, every time somebody does something on the freeway that makes me feel mad, <laughs> that's a reminder that I need to work on patience. So this right. is the time I thank God for that person and the opportunity to trust God and, and, and not take my own revenge or whatever. Yeah, whatever truth you're trying to internalize at that time, exactly. that can be the, the cue. That's really helpful. I think we can flip it with bad habits too. And when we are more aware of this process, we're going to be more aware of when bad habits are starting to happen in our life before they come into effect. Exactly. So if you're really struggling with lust and... For most guys, I would say, and this is probably true for women as well, usually you're alone when you're struggling with lust. Right. And, and so your cue might be, I come back from work, no one's home, and I'm alone. That's your cue. Oh, this is a time when temptation could strike, and then right. here's my routine to deal with that. Right. And we can apply that to overeating or sins of anger or other things like that. Knowing your cue helps you to get ahead of the game yeah. in terms of fighting the battle. Yeah. Yeah, but that's good. Now the, I was reading in Proverbs uh, today, I think it was, and it just talked about don't go near the door of her house, meaning the, the harlot. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, you know, the, the path that we take always determines where we end up. Mm -hmm. And so if, if you can see, uh oh, there, there's a path I don't want to take so that you can plan ahead and take the other path, you're, you're far better ahead than taking the path and then fighting temptation. Yeah, yeah, there are times to fight and there are times to flee. Exactly, exactly. Good. So today we are moving in our discussion to what kinds of habits Christians should form. And I think it's important to reiterate at this point in the podcast that this is not a generic habit formation podcast. We're using the insights of psychology or science, but the goal is to apply habits or to implement habits for the Christian life. And so we need to get really clear about what kinds of habits we should build. Right. You can have all sorts of habits and structure in your life and not become like Jesus. Right, right. To become Christ-like is to have Christ-like habits. Yeah, you're training yourself to become like Jesus. Right. That's the goal, not just to be a, a good person or a more effective person or whatever. And the Bible outlines many of the habits or rhythms that a Jesus follower should cultivate, and we see them manifested in the life of Christ right. himself. Right. And so I think a good place to start in our discussion before we move into what habits 
we should build or what kinds of habits is just to stop for a second and realize what we are saying is that not all activities are created equal and really talk about priorities. Right. We have to get clear on this idea of priorities or we will be frustrated in the Christian life. Right, right. No, we're in far greater danger of doing too much than we are of doing too little. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that's why we have, we, we can never do everything. And so we've got to figure, uh, focus on what will be the most effective, what's going to create the greatest return for my efforts. And I don't want to go on too long a rant at this point in the podcast, but listeners, I firmly believe that this is where we have to be courageous in our culture and say, I'm not going to do everything. Because we have such a huge abundance of choices, a gratuitous amount of choice in our culture, as uh, Barry Schwartz says in his book, The Paradox of Choice. There's a gratuitous amount of choice, and with that comes this incredible fear of missing out on life. And so you can fill your family schedule with activities and events and feel pulled in all of these directions and, and miss what is most important because you don't want to miss out. That's the irony. Right, right. No, no is a very powerful word. And if I can say no to certain things, it means I can say yes to the important things. Yeah, and it reminds me of a book we're, we're reading, or of the book we're reading right now as a staff, Essentialism, which is not a Christian book, but it's a very helpful book on prioritizing. And one of the points that Greg McCown, the author, makes is that if you do not prioritize your life, someone else will. And that's such a helpful thing for me to remember. We're not neutral going into the world. Uh, that There are people, just like we say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Lots of people, advertisers, friends, all of these different people, they have a wonderful plan for your life too. And they're very passionate about their plan for your life. And so, yes, we go out of our way to inconvenience ourselves and serve people and love people like Jesus, but God has an agenda for our life. And there might be other people with competing agendas, and God's agenda has to win. Just like Jesus says in his life, I only do what my Father gives me to do. We have to be dead set on this idea that there are things that God has called us to do, and I must do them. Right. Yeah, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, uh, not to do the will of everybody else. Yeah. And, and that is um, such a hard lesson to learn at the outset, because we are hardwired to please people. And disappointing people, um, it just feels like death, especially at the outset. But again, you will be so frustrated in your Christian life and Christian growth if you let other people prioritize your life. Yeah. And in a way, it's a way of avoiding responsibility. Because mm -hmm. you could, rather than taking responsibility for your own choices and saying, this is the direction God's called me to go, if I'm constantly at the beck and call of other people, then I never have to take responsibility. I'm just doing what they tell me to do. And then I'll, I'm surprised when I get to the end of my life and realize I didn't really accomplish anything worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, so there is a cultural tide we're going to have to swim against here and uh, McCown tells a great story, and it's been a helpful one to me in the book about uh, Peter Drucker, Drucker, who's like the management guru to end all management gurus, right? right? 
but uh, there was a gentleman who wanted to interview him for a book. And uh, Drucker has this amazing response where he's so gracious and almost flattering toward the guy and says, though, no, I can't give the interview. And he says, the good Lord has given me all of the work <laughs> that I'm fit to do. I can't do your work for you. And, and I think that's helpful. It's not to say we won't serve people. It's not to say we won't inconvenience ourselves for people. But we're clear on what God has called us to do. And so once I define these are the things that must happen in my life by the will of God, then they have to happen. Exactly. They have to happen. I've already made the commitment before God that I am going to do these things. Right. Even if it costs me. Right. Right. Because they're that important. Yeah. And so I'm just pleading with you, listeners, to go against the culture on this and do less better in your life. Yeah. You don't want to look back and say, I, my energy and the one life God gave me was diffused in a thousand directions with minimal progress in any of them. Yeah. And I neglected the most important things he gave me. Yeah. Now, just in this last week, I have unsubscribed to most of the blogs and, and newsletters and emails that I've subscribed to simply because they're not contributing to get me where I know God wants me to go. They're distracting me. They're taking my energy and my time and my focus away from, from the few things I know that God's given me to do that I haven't accomplished. Yeah. So good. The, the final thing I would say, and then my rant is over, is that, and this is a helpful way for me to think about this, there is an inverse relationship between the quantity of my commitments and the quality of my commitments. An inverse relationship between the quantity of my commitments and the quality. That's just a way of saying the more I commit to, the worse I'll do at it. And so when I think about my relationship with Jesus and drawing near to him, when I think about my role here as a pastor, when I think about, even before that, um, my relationship with my wife and my kids, I have to filter it through that grid all the time that any other thing I take on could negatively impact the things I know God has called me to do, which means I need to be ruthless in evaluating the things I take on in my life because it's one life, and yeah. I really want to do the things I know I'm supposed to do That's good. well. Yeah. No, the most successful people are people who do a few things well, not who do many things halfway. Yeah. And so that's a great setup for talking about habits, because what we're saying here in everything that follows are here are things, <laughs> here are the must-dos in the Christian life. Here are the habits that if you want to become like Jesus, you've got to get these in place. And so we're starting with what you would say is the habit to rule them all. Right. Yeah, the master habit. The master habit, yeah. which is um, hearing the words of Jesus in Scripture. Daily. Daily. Yes. That is something that Jesus models. He hears from his Father in the Word as his priority. If we're Jesus followers, that is habit number one right. that we should prioritize so let's talk about that in a little more depth. Where would you start in the Bible to get this idea? I, I think I would start at the very simple story from, from Luke chapter 10, where Jesus goes to lunch at Mary and Martha's house. And, and Martha is the older sister. She's very responsible. She's scurrying around as the perfect hostess, getting lunch ready, while Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet just listening to him teach. 
And finally, Martha is so exasperated by her little sister's lack of help, she, she interrupts Jesus' teaching, and she says, Lord, don't you care that my, my sister is making me do all the serving by myself? And Jesus has a very interesting response. He says, Martha, Martha, you're distracted by so many things, but Mary has chosen the best part, which will not be taken away from her. Well, what was the best part? that Mary had chosen. Well, she chose to listen to Jesus' word. And I think throughout the scripture, starting with hearing Christ's words daily, being in the word of God, taking time to meet with God regularly to hear what he has to say to us is the most important habit. It is the one habit that rules them all, because if you do that, everything else will work out. But if you neglect that habit, nothing will work out. And you really don't know what habits to build as a Christian until you're in the Word of God. Exactly. And so our growth is aimless until it's rooted right. in the Word of God, or it is, is without effect because we're not doing the things that God has called us yeah. to do. And, and some people might, might disagree and, and say, well, no, prayer is the most important habit. Hmm. I would disagree with that because I would say our prayer is in response to what God says. Um, I find I cannot pray properly until, first of all, I've been in the Word, and, I'm, and prayer is a response to what God has said in the Word. Otherwise, prayer is just my own ideas, my own thoughts, my own desires taken to God, rather than responding, first of all, to what He says. So that's, we'll, we'll talk about prayer, and prayer is absolutely essential, too. But I would start with this habit of, of coming daily to the Scriptures to hear what Christ has to say to me as the one, the first most important habit for us to develop. Yeah, and to reiterate that point about prayer, if anybody wants to pick a fight right now, and that's great, you can email us and pick a fight, that's good, we want to make this a conversation, but it is so interesting that the disciples needed Jesus to teach them how to pray. And I think often the assumption is, well, prayer is just talking to God, it's simple, so I just do it, and that's true, it is conversation with God, and yet... Jesus gives the disciples a template, pray like this, which tells me that that I need to learn how to pray from the Scripture to really pray effectively. Not not to say that it's um, wrong to just spontaneously cry out to God, that's great, but to really cultivate an effective prayer life where we are deeply communing with God, experiencing His presence we need a roadmap there. Right. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have given us an actual framework yeah. for prayer, which he does in his word. So I agree that this is the, the habit that you have to start with. Yeah, no, that's so, good. So good. I don't think many people disagree. Yep, be in the Bible if you're a yeah. Christian. And yet, this seems to be an area where... Christians, and I've experienced this, um, really grapple with the daily right. aspect. There's right. fits and starts. Uh, we start building the habit, and then we fall out of the habit. Um, and so people could say, yeah, I agree. This is my priority, and I'm, I'm trying here. But, but why is it so hard to make it regular? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would make a few suggestions that, that are more personal experience than I would say scripture, though I probably could pretty build a, build a scripture. Oh, I want to see you try that. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think, first of all, you have to start early. Um, and hmm. by early, I mean early in the morning. Um, because what I find is, is people will say, well, I'm a night person or I'm a morning person, all this. But what I've found is, is that if I start half an hour earlier than I would normally get up, mm-hmm. it, there's, no, there's no reason to get up other than to study the Bible. I mean, that's, yeah. why, I, that's why I'm getting So there's no distraction. I, why waste this time that I paid a price for to get up? So I find that for most people, if they will set out by saying, I'm going to get up half an hour earlier just to be in the Word with the Lord, they tend to build a habit better than if they try to fit it into their normal schedule where they've already got habits of, here's what I do when I get up, and mm-hmm. they're easily distracted by, by this. For some people, if you have young children, you got to get up before they get up. It's, it's as simple as that. And, and because of that, you may have to go to bed half an hour earlier uh, because that's where the, the real battle is waged. It's not when you get up, but when you go to bed. Exactly. Stuff like that. So I would say, number one, uh, in building a habit of regular time with the Lord, you have to get up early enough so that you'll have no distractions from doing it. Um, second, I would start small. Um, hmm. Don't start with, okay, I'm going to spend two hours a day every morning in the Word. You won't, and uh, you will just fail. So start with something you know you can do. If, if it's only 10 minutes, I'm going to get up 10 minutes early, but you're striving for consistency because once you get consistent, you will add time to that. Mm-hmm. It, but the goal is to do it every single day. So start with a, a small enough um, amount of time that you know you can do it that you will not fail to do it. Yeah, and there's nothing unspiritual about that. No. Just as an encouragement to you listeners that I'm only spending 10 minutes and that's not good enough. It's like, well, no, like God rewards that act of faith and he sees it. And starting too big is almost a recipe for not doing it. I think of that Martin Luther quote, you know, allegedly attributed to him that, you know, there was so much to do, so many tasks at hand today that I I just felt compelled to spend the first two hours, I imagine Luther talking like this, you know, spend the first two hours of the day in prayer. And that's never been an inspiring quote to me. It just makes me think, not there yet. (laughs) Two hours in prayer. It's never inspired me to do it, do it more. I mean, I'm glad that Luther ostensibly had that prayer life, but, you, but he didn't start there, even right. if he got there. Right. No, if you listen to God's Word for 10 minutes, you'll get far more than you'll get if you don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it tend because the rewards are so great, that time will multiply just naturally, because you'll, you'll benefit, it, benefit from it so much. Yeah, that's good. And and so, yeah, getting up early in the morning, I would agree with that, starting small. Now, these aren't universal truths. I don't. I think you could give some biblical examples of people getting up early in the morning. If your alone time of deep focus really is before you go to bed, um, great, build your rhythm that way. Yeah. It's better to do it than to follow this exact pattern. But what I would agree with you, the advantage of the beginning of the day is that it's mindset for the rest of the day. And, and so... If I start with a biblical framework, I am more likely to interpret the day through the Bible than to interpret the Bible through the day, Right. if that makes sense. And so your mind is in this very interesting space, if you've gotten a good night of sleep, where all of these processes have kicked in, filtered out your memories, you've kind of gotten the, the hardware cleaned out, the RAM and all of those things, and now your mind is in this state where it's ready to take in information. Yeah. And that's one of the great things about starting early in the morning. And one of my rules for myself is 
And again, this comes back to, to bad habits. For me, if my first action of the day is to pick up my phone and look at it, it has a negative impact on my time in the Word. And again, these are just pro tips. But what, for me, if I start with a news feed, my mind is just flooded with all of these, these tidbits of information. And then I am not looking intently at the Word. I'm thinking about the news and then the cares of the day, especially if I check my email, other things like that. Yeah. And, and so my rule for myself, my little reminder is, I have to start with the good news yeah. <laughs> before I go to the news. That's good. That's, that's one for me. Another thing I would say about that with technology is for me personally, I know some people love reading their Bibles on their phones, and that's great if it works for you and if you can discipline yourself to do it. For me, if I'm reading the Bible on my phone, I am distracted in a thousand different other ways by things I can do on my phone. So for me, a physical Bible, a physical journal, something that's tactile really helps me to focus. Right. And again, I would just say this to people, if you're struggling, these are things environmentally you can do. These are different cues that can help you to establish the routine. Right. And Jesus didn't have a phone. Are you sure? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Do you have a verse that says <laughs> Jesus didn't have a phone, Dad? No, but you don't have one that says he did, so... <laughs> Another thing that I would suggest has been, that has been very helpful to me is that you start with all the promises about the rewards of paying attention to the Scripture, because the Bible promise, has incredible promises, everything you want in life, if you'll take God's Word seriously and implement it. So as you start this, rather than kind of randomly picking a verse or picking a book to read, I would suggest starting looking deeply in all the promises. Psalm 1 is a great, is a great psalm on the rewards of, of taking God's Word seriously. Um, Joshua 1.8 is another one. Ezra um, 7, uh, 9 and 10. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. James 1, 21 and following. There's, there's many passages that if you can get those deep into your soul— you will always keep coming back to the Word because you will always see this is the reward, that everything I basically want from this day, everything I want from my life, depends on what I do with this book. That gives you the motivation then to, on those days that you don't feel especially like getting up or opening the Scripture to keep coming back to it. The reward has got to, got to keep it in front of you. That's, that's good, so I'll put you on the spot. You just listed a bunch of passages. So what are the rewards? Rewards. Well, what, what are some of them from those passages? What, why, what will fuel me to keep looking in the book? Well, Psalm one: This man will prosper in all that he does. Joshua one: So you may have success in everything you do. Uh, Ezra seven says the good hand of his God was upon him, for Ezra had set his heart to study, to practice, and teach the law. Matthew seven: Jesus says you'll build on the rock, and the storms will not overwhelm you. James one again says you will be blessed in everything you do. Hmm. Um, I want to be blessed in everything I do. I want to have. I want to be founded on the rock. Um, I want the good hand of God upon me. I want to know God's blessing. And, and so the Bible, there's no secret. It's the Bible's very clear. Here's how you do it. God yeah. blesses His word. He blesses people who take His words seriously. Yeah, that's that's good because what we can deconstruct in our lives is the things that we're looking for instead for those. Right. I want to experience the presence of God. I want peace. I want confidence in the day. I want hope. I want all of these things. Um, I want wisdom to engage 
uh, in challenging circumstances. I want perseverance. Well, everything you want in your day is promised to people who are in the Word. Right. Right. So that's great. Those are the rewards. At the same time, though, and this gets in a little bit to how we read and apply the Bible, which we'll talk about more next time, it's not just reading the Bible. That's not, that's not the extent of the habit. There's more to it than that. Should, right. we, should we get into that now, or do you have more to say? Well, I would, I would say, the, just kind of a, as an overview yeah. that we can talk about next week, what do you do during that time that you've set aside? Well, there's a number of things you can do, and you probably should mix it up some. Yeah. But one is to take a telescopic view of the Bible, where you're reading big, chump, big chunks of the Bible, mm-hmm. just so you get the story. Yeah. It's all going because context uh, determines everything, and so the greater the context I have, the more meaningful the passage I'm in becomes to me because I can see how it fits in to the whole story of the Bible, to mm-hmm. that to that book, and whatever. On the other hand, you can look at the Bible through the microscope, where you just look at one verse or one paragraph, and you really look at it deeply. And you and I always, I think I have to take time to write on it because I find mm-hmm. that writing on it, what I see, how I'm going to implement it, all those things is is really important too. Third, memorizing. I I cannot I cannot obey anything I don't remember. Yeah. So mem- I find memorizing scripture is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important to vary your approach when you find yourself just doing it because you you have to do it, yeah. and you're not really connecting with Christ in what you've been doing. Then do something different. Yeah. And 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 come back to that because the same diet day after day after day is not going to necessarily keep you going. You've got to vary the diet. You're always in the Bible, but there's a variety of things you can do with the Bible, and we'll be talking more about those things in depth later on. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, before we get to the how, it's important to establish the why right. and the craving. And and I would encourage listeners just to to start by internalizing those verses. Yeah. For, for why you need to be in the Word. That's really good. Anything else you have there on, on hacks, or is that the, the extent of your thoughts for now? Well, the only thing I would add is, is like we like to say, the Word does the work, mm-hmm. that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It is, yeah. it is the way Christ speaks to his students now. Right. Um, and so if I want to hear Jesus, if I want to hear what he has to say, I have to open the book. I'm not going to hear him any other way. And and I find that the more deeply I will look at a passage, and for me, that's writing. I, I find the more I write about what I think this means, how it applies to me and my situation, the more I just begin to be flooded by insights and thoughts, which I believe is Christ speaking to me through his right. word to apply. And, uh, and so anyway, I cannot divorce my relationship with Christ from my relationship with his word. And that's that to me is is one of the foundational convictions you have to have. You do because otherwise the Bible and scriptural intake becomes one thing among many as a way of growing yeah. in Christ. And because the Bible is a challenging book, it is a complicated book. There is discipline involved here, and as the Book of Hebrews says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but afterward it yields the the yeah. peaceful fruit of righteousness. There are disincentives from reading the Bible. There's there's a challenge here, and so we have to start there. That if I really want to hear from the God of the universe, the God of the universe wrote a book, right? Through human agency, yes, but God wrote a book, and 
if I want to experience God's power and presence in my life, if I divorce myself from the Bible, I will not hear from him. I think another point, and this just gets to our theology of the word, is that the word of God in scripture and that idea, it's not just that the word of God is informing, it's actually a transforming power. Exactly. The, the word of God has efficacy because it's from God. Right. So when God creates, what does he do? He speaks. Right. Uh, Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord shakes the cedars. There is this idea that the work is performative. That's why we say the word does the work. The word is living and active. God does by speaking in the world, which means these words have an intrinsic power, well, a, a derivative power from God himself. And so what you're dealing with when you deal with the word of God is this incredibly powerful instrument that God has ordained as the way he will rule his church and the way he rules the world. Right, right. No, I, I was thinking of First Thessalonians 2.13, where, mm -hmm. where Paul talks about it is the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe that the word of God is the way God works to work and to will his good pleasure mm -hmm. in our lives. And so if I, if I divorce myself from the word, I basically divorce myself from God's work in my life. Yeah. yeah see. I, I was thinking too, when you talked about the Bible being difficult to understand in places, there's a reason for that. And I think that reason is really illustrated when Jesus tells the parables. And his disciples come to him, and they don't know what the parables mean anymore, any more than anybody else. Right. And, and they say, why do you speak to them in, in parables? And Jesus says, uh, because they have eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear. Uh, but blessed are you. And, and the disciples understand the parables not because they have more insight, but because Jesus tells them what the parables mean. And I think that's what the Bible does for us. When we come to a difficult section of Scripture, it forces us to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus yep. and say, what does this mean? I don't understand this. And so it has much a much greater transformative effect on my life. And so now as I've gotten older as a Christian, I am really alert to what things don't I understand about the Christian life, because those are signals to me. This is probably an area Christ really wants me to, to work on me on to, to really understand. Right. And there's actually something very enticing about that. Yeah. When the, the, the difficult sections of Scripture come up is that it's this invitation to, to grapple more deeply with our faith as opposed to reason to throw up our hands. Right. And, and I think right. the parable illustration is helpful with that. Yeah, this week I'm going to be preaching out of Malachi 2, and the Hebrew of Malachi 2 is nuts. <laughs> it is not easy to understand. There's this one idiom, the one who calls and the one who responds. And I'm not joking. Translators, uh, the master and the scholar is one translation. Uh, there's the one who settles and the nomad. There's the accuser and the defendant. And then some people say it's the root and the branch. And then another translation is nakedness or improper cohabitation. And I'm just laughing yeah. at, at how crazy this is. But you dig into the idiom, actually you start to get more clarity on what it means. And then you see it in the context of the passage. And you go, actually, no, it is pointing in a direction. And when we see that, wow, the rewards, and you'll have to tune in to this week's sermon to find out. There's my little plug, but uh, I don't even know if I'll mention it. But uh, um, 
anyway, but again, if I hadn't gone through that process, I wouldn't have gotten the reward exactly. of seeing what the writer is getting at yeah. there. And so, so there is tremendous fruit that comes from that. Just like in working out, it's not the easy workouts that are the most satisfying. It's right. the hard ones. It, yeah. And, and, and unless we have to grapple with something, it's very likely it won't change our lives. I was, yeah. I was, I was, just, I was just thinking the other day, I, I love mysteries. Mm-hmm. And I, I watch them. I, I, I watch all these old um, BBC TV mysteries and stuff like that. Is it a good habit but, or a bad habit? It's a bad habit. Okay. But, but I thought about I, I when I think about those shows, I can never remember what the mystery was, who solved the yeah. mystery, who, who actually murdered somebody in this. And yet when I grapple with the scripture, I remember what I learned because yeah. I had it was so difficult and I had to grapple with it. And yet, when I finally came to the answer, the resolution, I'll never forget it. Yeah. And, it, and it's changed my life. No, that's, so that's great. So the point is, is what comes easy goes easy. Yeah. But, but what you have to work at stays with you. That's great. So we've talked about some of the reminders, some of the routines, and then the rewards, which are key yeah. for us in building this habit. I think where I'd leave off uh, before we jump in next time and continue our discussion of the Bible, because this is worth a few podcasts here, is what Jesus says in Matthew 4, in the wilderness. Mm. That when he is tempted by Satan, he says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. He had no food, and he spent that time ingesting the word of God. And you know he did because, and specifically, you know he was meditating on Deuteronomy because when Satan tempts him three times, three times Jesus responds from the book of Deuteronomy. His food was the word of God. And Jesus, our Savior, learned obedience through suffering and through meditating on the word deeply and became an effectual doer through that meditation. But it's a helpful reminder to me that every day, it is more important that I hear from God than that I eat. Right. That's good. That is the most important thing, is that I feast on the living word, Jesus, who speaks through his word. And I pray for you listeners that you would buy in there as well, because the reality is there are a million voices teaching you all day long, trying to get into your brain and be not conformed to the pattern of the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the priority to get in place. Absolutely. Good. We'll talk more about how to study the Bible next time, but uh, in the words of George McQuillister, one of our elders here, you are what you eat. And so if you want to become like Jesus, you have to be like Jesus and eat, feast upon the Word of God. So thanks so much, and we'll see you again next time. <laughs>